Okay, everyone, are we ready? Energy up. Are you excited? Yes. Okay, I Phone's need that energy. Silent. Phones on silent. Phones I need on that energy. Silent. We're in the Regal movie theater. We're on the roller coaster. Anybody get that reference at all? Oh, but did, we didn't what, have Regal movie theaters where I'm from. Where did you? What did you have? Okay, so we're already getting into it. I love it. I didn't intro. That's fine. I had a. We had we just had like a boring movie theater growing up. Like, but then in, when I moved to Milwaukee as an adult. There is this chain of movie theaters in the Midwest called Marcus Theaters, and it is named after, and the flagships are in Milwaukee, and it is named after so the family that started these movie theaters, and also they own this, like, they own the Fister Hotel downtown, which is, like, that's where Marilyn Monroe sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President, to JFK. Like, it's, like, a very fancy, old, scary, haunted hotel. <laughs> but at, at the beginning of the movies at the Marcus Theaters, you know, they dim the lights and they're like turn off your cell phones and then it's like you see a man on the screen sitting at a piano playing the piano on and then he turns around and he says hi i'm greg marcus welcome to marcus theaters it's amazing <laughs> i'm obsessed with it and i'm obsessed with greg marcus sightings like legitimately what my friend was at megan and like was like oh my god i'm eating pizza and i just saw greg marcus wait so is he alive yeah, he's like alive and around about town, and like lives that. on the North Shore and is rich. I you know, that. I love that. I love it's amazing. That. I was giving with Greg very Marcus. Nicole Kidman energy almost. So she probably got that energy from Greg Marcus. From Greg Marcus. Okay, the That's man, the, myth, the legend, Meta. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. Ready? Three, two, one. Happy, happy hour, everyone. My name is Shui Altamirano, and this is Five Questions and a Beer, the podcast where each episode I sit with a different guest, we crack open a cold one, and I ask them five questions in hopes that by the end of the podcast, I get to know them just a little bit more. And today, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting with Pam Ronai. Is that how you pronounce it? Did I do it right? You did it. Okay, perfect. I shouldn't have put that in, but I was nervous as I was going through. It was like, we should have went through this one last time. Thank you so much for sitting with me. A, a little background for anybody listening, as if you care... Cam is also, like, a few people in this podcast, which is great because I do think this podcast has allowed me the opportunity to get to know newer friends who I don't know that well even better, just as the intro says. But, you know, like other people in the past, Cam is a newer friend of mine. We met at a Halloween party a few months back and kind of hit it off immediately. And then most recently, I was at a graduation party for you which maybe we'll get into a little bit more later and then we left that graduation as i i I knew i was going to tell this story (laughs) as soon as i left that graduation party i was like i need to get them on the podcast and so i'm happy to have you here so thank you so much for sitting with me how are you doing today you know i'm pretty good all things considered beautiful is this your first podcast this is my first podcast wonderful long time listener first time caller amazing this is not my first podcast but this is my first hosting podcast i mean that's a big so deal. you know it is we're all going through learning curves and so i you know it's nice i think i think almost everybody i've had on maybe minus alexandra larios which i don't know if you're familiar with i would love to introduce you one day this is their first podcast so it's okay you're in great company excellent we're in producer ian's home we're comfortable it's gonna go great it's gonna go great so i mean let's just get into like the nitty-gritty of it all I'm excited to talk about this because I had a lot of fun doing this research. But today we are drinking Miller High Life, mm. which is one of my favorites. Are you a fan of Miller High Life? You know, I am. It's a classic. It's super classic. You know, often at bars I would work at in my 20s, we referred to it as low life. And I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of low lives, you know? I think that the slogan would disagree with you. You know what I mean? It's the champagne of beer. It is, but it is it. You know, like, I feel like the champagne of beer is always tongue-in-cheek, you yes. know? Yes, totes. I mean, it wasn't in 1907, which, shall I get into it? Miller High Life is one of the four greats of Milwaukee, also yes. known as the Brew City. The four being Paps, Miller, Schlitz, and Blatz, which, did I pronounce it correctly? You did, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Which, I have a couple more questions about that, well, that are not the five questions after this spiel. I would also like to thank Encyclopedia of Milwaukee and the Milwaukee Historical Society for this information. But the Miller Brewing Company is one of Milwaukee's historic brewing giants operating in the city from 1855 to the present. A relatively late bloomer compared to other local rivals, Miller was an important innovator in national beer marketing, a significant developer of light beer, and the last of the city's brewing giants remaining from the 19th century. In 1903, the company introduced its flagship brand, Miller High Life, which they began billing as a champagne of beer and advertising with its iconic Girl on the Moon in 1907. 
Frederick Miller came up with the premium beer and held a contest to name it. With its high level of carbonation and clear color, similar to that of champagne, the winning name was chosen as Miller High Life with the slogan, The Champagne and Beer. Originally bottled in mini champagne bottles to set it apart from other beers, Miller High Life is the longest running product from the Miller Brewery. Hmm. How fun. The more you know, how fun. <laughs> the more you know. Okay, so I, again, thank you to our not sponsored, but in my heart sponsored beer universe located on Washington Avenue in oh. Kingston, New York. I tried my hardest to find Schlitz and Blatt's beer. Hard to find Schlitz and Blatt's outside of like I'm sure Milwaukee and Chicago. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because I mean, I've had plenty of paps. I've sure. drunk my weight plus ten in Miller High Life, but I was like, I've never heard of Schlitz and Blatt's. So I tried my hardest to find it, but I could not find it. Have you had either of those? I have had both of those beers. Okay. Do you have a favorite out of the four? I I would say that historically I'm a paps drinker. Okay. Right? Also, but also like have drank my fair share of MGD. You know, so also, you know, you can't go wrong. And, you know, my parents aren't from Milwaukee. And so they would tend to get, you know, like, but what? Like Bud Heavy, my dad would call it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Right. I'm more of a Bud Light kind of person, but, you Mm -hmm. know, either way. But that's just my own history, you know. Although, you know, I'm sure no one else in my family would agree, but I just drank a lot of Bud Light in high school. All right. So this is The Crack, which we're drinking bottles today and they're twist off. So this is going to be The Twist, shall we? Oh, but producer Ian is drinking a La Croix, and it is going to crack. We do a cheers every episode as well, and today's cheers is to our very good health. May we live as long... Wait, sorry, I messed that up. We don't even have to cut this out. Okay. All right. <laughs> to our very good health, may we live to be as old as my jokes. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. Oh, that's so good. Nothing like it. So that's good. That's so good. It's so good. Do you want to know a fun fact about the Milwaukee breweries? Yes, please. So the, you know, there used to be, obviously Miller is still brewed in Milwaukee mm-hmm. as well as many other places because they've merged with Molson Coors okay. as yeah. a company. So they're like a huge multinational and Pabst is owned by like a big like Russian liquor giant, again, a multinational now. But the, uh, the fun thing about back when like the four big breweries were operating is that they had this huge workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Like in Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. And they would, they rest wanted to rest in peace. <laughs> they wanted to get their, you know, a little bit of their workers' paycheck back at the end of the day. And so they all opened bars basically that only served their beer across the city. And they were called Tide Houses. So there would be, and there's all of these like pretty beautiful old buildings in Milwaukee that are now run as, you know, up different bars oh. that used to be like a Schlitz Tide House. Or a Paps Tide House, or a Miller Tide House, or a Blatt's Tide House, and so because this was such a big problem, like it didn't allow for other saloons and bars to stay open. There actually was a bunch of laws passed, and so now in Wisconsin, you can't have like more than one tap room outside of your brewery. Oh wow! Because of the Tide Houses, because they really controlled the market in terms of where people would go to drink. Oh, yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, this Okay, we, you know, in full five questions of your fashion, which is not, this is mostly chewy fashion. This is my follow-up question to that. So you, as we've spoken, so you spent plenty of time in Milwaukee. Yes. That's where you moved before you moved here. Yes, I lived there for like 10 years. Okay. And you're talking about these hide houses, which are, these buildings are still, are they still used as bars nowadays as well? Most of them are bars and restaurants, yeah. Okay. What are the bathrooms like in these old school bars? Are we talking renovate? Is that a weird question to ask? Or it's like, I just feel like we're like, I don't know. I'm like, are these like saloon doors? Have these toilets not been interchanged in the past? You know, it depends. It depends on the establishment, right? Like how much reno has gone in. Like some of the buildings, it's like you can tell that it was a tied house from the front, and then you go inside and it's like totally renovated. and And then, you know, there's other dive bars that are in old tide houses where it probably hasn't changed that much probably the biggest place you see it is the basements okay um, yeah you know i mean like most restaurants even like like most restaurants yeah. scary basements absolutely okay interesting okay well am i trying to think should we jump into it or do i have i don't know do i have any more pre-questions before my questions <laughs> but i think we should jump into it because i'm sure i'll have like plenty of follow-up questions sure yeah sprinkle them in each one of the questions I've got. Oh, but before that, another piece of information I just like thought was really funny. In doing my research on Miller High Life, this website's description of the smell of Miller High Life I love, it is, 
It smells like unsalted tortilla chips, something that smells faintly of rancid corn oil and a hint of yeast. Strength of wait, strength of strength of taste is somewhat below medium. It tastes like corn. It's sweet and it's it has a very light herbal hop bitter finish, which I could mm. agree in some ways. That is, those are some extensive tasting notes. I can get a little tortilla. Yeah, I can too. I can also get like you know. I don't know if you've ever lived by a brewery, but there sometimes there'll be the smell in the morning that's like, I don't know, like a weird fermented sweet potato smell. Okay. And I don't know if it's like when they're throwing out malt or what it is. Yeah. But it's interesting. I can't say I smelled I can, that, but that's really interesting. Okay. It's kind of it's kind of here with me, you know, <laughs> and not a bad, not in a bad way. Yeah, for sure. They're here with us in the spirit of beer. Mm. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into the five questions. Let's so, I mean, just like as what I said, as if I didn't know the order of questions, but we were just talking about the Midwest. And so my first question to you is, what are three must-eats in the Midwest? And then I actually do have a couple follow-up questions just based off. I'm curious if you have any experience. But if what are like three that just come to mind now that you would like to share with us? Absolutely. There's so much good food in the upper Midwest. I, would, I should say that I'm from – I really – consider myself to be from the upper Midwest. Okay. And so that would kind of cut off like below Chicago, Solid. I would say, you know? Okay. I think there's like very different cultures happening there. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from Minnesota. And the first place that honestly comes to mind is Al's Breakfast in Dinkytown in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, folks. It was, Al's Breakfast is so strange. It's in the University of Minnesota, like little college district. And it was built in between two buildings in an alley. It's about 10 feet wide, the whole restaurant. And it was built in like the 50s. And you walk in and there's a row of bar stools and then they're cooking behind the counter and they just serve breakfast. And it's absolutely phenomenal. There used to be a payphone on the back wall. I don't know if it's still there. Probably not. It may um, still be there aesthetically. Maybe, yeah, for Who's sure. Colin? Who is Colin and is what? Is like AT&T coming to pick those up and we meet? This is valuable merchandise. Exactly. So yeah, Al's Breakfast. And while you're waiting to go to Al's Breakfast, the food is good. The ambiance is really what does it for me. Yeah, I feel feel like with most my eating experiences, that's what I'm really looking for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that does, it does account for a lot of the experience. At least I think that even if food is a little mid-tier, you go to, for the chats, you go for the scenery, you go. To have a good time. And there's a there's something about having to wait. So there's only like 14 stools. And so when you go in, you have to wait in line for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cold in Minneapolis. It's really cold. And so you wait in line behind the people who are eating. And then the line stretches out the door and down the block. And so by the time people are behind you, they're really ready, right? But at least they're inside, <laughs> so they're feeling a little better. Yeah. But then once you get – and you think, you know, oh, I wish people would just get up. And then once you get a bar stool, you are like, this is mine. You're like, you know? I live here. I'm living yeah, here. Yeah, I live here now. <laughs> this is where I live. It's amazing. That's incredible. What are you ordering from Els? Oh, that's a great question. They have, like, really excellent hash browns. Okay. My sta- I just – I'm a bacon, eggs, hash browns, toast kind of that's person. I understand completely. Yeah. It's they yummy. They have big jars of samba Oleg behind the counter for your hash browns. That's nice. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like a, like a chili garlic – Ooh, okay. Yeah. I can get into that for sure. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So what else, what else is a must eat? If, well, if a person is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I heard someone on another podcast refer to places like Boston and Milwaukee as being ambiently Catholic. Okay. And that, that really rings true, right? <laughs> There's huge Polish immigrant communities that settled Milwaukee and there are many, many, many Roman Catholic churches. And it's ambiently Catholic in a, in a you know kind of a cultural way, and that extends to food. And so every Friday night at basically every restaurant in the city and in church basements and in bingo halls and all over the place at breweries, they have fish fry. Oh. And everybody eats fish fry on Friday nights. Interesting. I love that. It's great. It sounds amazing. It's yeah. totally amazing. So it'll be beer battered and fried fish. It'll be perch or cod. My favorite is smelt. I don't know if you've had it. They're extremely tiny fish. They batter and fry them whole. I don't think I have, just by your description. <laughs> My grandfather used to go on smelt runs when he was a kid, like in Wisconsin, on the rivers, because it's like that they, you know, just like scoop the tiny fish up with oh, big okay. nets. Okay. But the smelt fry is amazing. You dip it in tartar sauce, 
And then you usually have it with fried potato pancakes and applesauce. Oh, my gosh. That sounds incredible. It's great. That sounds so good. I also consider myself culturally ambiently Catholic. So that sounds great. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, my mother's house. Yes, of course, my parents' house. That sounds really good. I love a good fish fry. Yeah. I have my own memories. It's not something that my family does all the time, but it is one of those things where – Whenever my mom fries fish, it's like one of those where like my dad tells me to go around the house and make sure all the doors are closed because uh, everyone's clothing and rooms and linen are going to smell like fish for the next four days. Yeah, frying fish in your own (laughs) house is a commitment. It is. Yes, absolutely. Okay, incredible. Okay, so where's the last place? The last place is also in Milwaukee, and it is a chain, a little chain of sandwich shops like sub sandwich shops You're talking that, my language that are that have like a kind of a lurid history that i actually probably should have polished up on before i came i'll do the back work when this gets released Great, I'll, I'll, I'll add some links to the description so is it's... a wild ride so this <laughs> sandwich this sandwich chain is called suburbia there's only a couple left the one that i would always go to is in a gas station by the airport on layton avenue <laughs> and and like the thing about suburbia is this the lore behind it is that apparently there was this man who ran it with his business partner and he was kind of a shady dude, but he was a brilliant at coming up with the seasonings. Like every sandwich has its own oil, like oh, wow. and its own seasoning that they put on the sandwich. And so every sandwich is different and they're all secret recipes. Like the employees don't know the recipes. The business partner didn't know the recipes. And so apparently this man was pretty hard to work with and there was like they separated on bad terms and then i think he went to jail for tax evasion of course and like nobody knew the recipes and so this other guy his business former business partner tried to start his own chain of sandwich shops called gold coast and everyone was like oh it's this one of the suburbia people but it totally failed because guess what he didn't know any of the recipes oh so none of the sandwiches are like what people are used to right wow that's really cool. It's they're so good. That sounds so good. And also shady. And it's like a weird, like wood paneled situation attached to a gas station, you know? Yeah. And they do sure. sell sweatshirts and I've always wanted one. They kind of like they almost like look like Thrasher sweatshirts. <laughs> like the branding is on point. I mean, here's the thing, when you first said suburbia, I mean it does kind of sound like a couple of punks were like, we should open up a sandwich. Well, it's called suburbia because we're getting out. And it's we're actually getting out. it's actually worse. It's called suburbia. Suburbia? <laughs> Correct. Oh my god. I love that. Even better. Because they knew. Because they knew. Disclaimer, I'm also starving, so that sounds amazing. And sandwich is my favorite food. Oh my god. It's so favorite good. type of food. It's your favorite type. Genre of food. What's your favorite sandwich. sub? Uh, probably, if I'm going some it depends. If I'm going somewhere new, I might go for my personal classic, which is just this is very bit boring, but it's almost close to a turkey club. So like I prefer pepper turkey, so I'll do like a pepper turkey. Maybe I'll add some bacon, but if not, I like an American cheese, mayo, lettuce, tomato. That's a classic. I like uh, one of the biggest things I will judge a sandwich on more than anything is the bread. Mm. So I feel like the bread can really make it. Maybe being from New York, and I, don't, I actually don't know if this is a strictly New York thing. If you go to a lot of New York delis, there is a lot of boar's head there. So it's like meat. It's not like I'm really testing out the meat unless it's like a meat I don't know. Usually it's like a boar's head deli, you know. Well, here's the question about yeah. boar's head. Mm-hmm. How did it become like the most ubiquitous deli meat and cheese situation? In all of America. I mean, like, I'm sure it's, it's huge in, in the Midwest as well. I mean, I'm sure it's like if you go. It is around. Like yeah. it's, but I really feel like it does dominate the Northeast has been my experience. But like, how did they get their claws into every single, like, is is it a distribution thing where like they're just like amazing at distribution? I'm sure it's like a mixture. And again, man, I'll do, I'll do the research on this in the back end again. Well, I, this could be a whole research. podcast. Really this could be, be like a serial our style. Part two, we're going to like get into this for sure. But I'm sure it's like, I, I'm guessing it's either, it's a mix of amazing distributing. And also I think that when it comes to like meats, I think people like consistency. So I think that like a lot of homes are just kind of like, this is where it's good. And I want this over and over again. Right. At least. And I know plenty of people who like that in their sandwiches. Yeah. And then my other top two sandwich were like, if I, especially if it's an Italian family owned or even if you're just like known for this, an Italian combo or just, I have to try it just to see how their Italian combo is. And I'm usually going to like that as well. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my follow up to that last question and this, and it's the only follow up I had. I don't know why I made it sound like I had so many. <laughs> when I first saw this question and I wanted to ask specifically, but I was curious on what you would answer in general. Do you have any history with like being? I don't know. As I mean, I grew up like in right outside the city, so we don't have this as much. Do you have any like 
big state fair histories and like tell like can you throw out a couple of go-to state fair foods as well if you can just if any on the top of your head like what are some go-to's that you're just going to at the state fair okay this is a great question for somebody from minnesota because (laughs) we have the biggest state fair in the country oh i didn't know that love the fun fact there's a fun song that (laughs) what would you like i it it does go something like our state fair is the best state fair don't miss it don't even be late from dollars to donuts at our state fair. It's the best state fair in our state. Yes. That's the Minnesota State Fair song. <laughs> and that. it's the Minnesota State Fair is huge. My uncle has like this little beef cattle farm in southern Minnesota. And one of and so he would work at the state fair at the Miracle of Life Center, which was like this place where you could go watch like baby animals be born. Interesting. Which was cool, okay. right? Yeah. And we could also like put our backpacks in there. And so we could go see the butterheads. Oh. Have like, you heard of the butterheads? Yeah, like butter sculptures. Yes, where yes. it's like a man. It's like there's all these dairy princesses that are nominated from all across the state. What'd you call state. me? I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> dairy princesses. and they. But the great thing is it's like they sit on this platform and then a man is inside of this like big cylindrical case, like plexiglass case that is refrigerated. And he is carving and they're like live modeling for him and he's like carving their heads out of butter. Like wow. sculpting them, it's it's amazing. That's not amazing. And you can like get a milkshake. So that's my first stop at the state fair. You're going to that dairy barn. You're gonna drink a milkshake while you watch this man in- carve incredible sculptures yes. of young women's heads. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, as they as you would. As you would, yeah. That sounds incredible. I mean, I've only ever been in that area one time, and one of my biggest and first stops was to get some sort of dairy treat and the. The ice cream that I got was absolutely phenomenal. I can't tell you where I got it. I know I was – we've had this conversation. And where was I? It was in Stillwater, Minnesota. Oh, sure. It was incredible. So I can imagine the milkshake, which is so oh. good. What milkshake are you ordering? I'm just going to – Oh, I'm – I mean, I'm getting a chocolate malt. Oh, Gotta have that malt per- powder in there. Ooh, I love a malt powder. Okay. You know? Yeah, for sure. And then we're going to have to find that state for our bathroom because I'm, like, really lactose intolerant. <laughs> but you know what? It's fine. I'm still going to go for it. Yeah, 1,000%. There's also a booth at the state fair where you can pay a quarter to drink as much milk as you want. Ew. I'm sorry Horrific. for anybody who would love that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I mean, it's a really raving about dairy, but that just sounds like a nightmare. It's so hot at the state fair, too. In Minnesota in August, it is so muggy and disgusting. And people are just chugging milk. And it's like this huge space that's like in between Minneapolis and St. Paul on the midway is like I don't know how they have all this pro- – like, this, it, this, I guess the State Fair has probably always been there, right? Oh, but yeah. it's gigantic, and it's – oh, it's really hot. And so I guess you just chug as much milk as you want, and then you go watch the Lumberjack show, oh, you know? Oh, like, get me out of here. Get me out of that Lumberjack show with all those oh, people, too. The, no, the Lumberjack show is honestly kind of a respite <laughs> from the masses. It's, I'm sure. It's pretty good. I've seen – so I've never seen them in person, but I'm familiar with the Lumberjack With the concept it's, where they're, like, running on logs, yes, like, exactly. climbing up telephone it's poles. It's very Cirque du soleil Yes. More like Cirque du Soleil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make, is that a funny joke? A? Do you A? And, I know that's more of a Canadian thing, but I mean, I'm sure there's... There's some A-ing okay. happening. There's, Beautiful. there's, it's, I mean, there's more like, oh yeah. There's oh. like more of that, you Cirque know? Cirque du Soleil, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Marv, <laughs> you're getting out on the boat this weekend, you know? Oh like yeah. That. Oh yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that this is the Midwest episode. <laughs> it's like completely targeted. It's like, oh my God, my new friend from the Midwest. I like, I have a weird fascination with the Midwest. I don't know, I don't know many people from the Midwest. So like, whenever I meet somebody from the Midwest, I'm like, let's talk about it. Listen, like, it's not about our cultural differences. No, it's it. a special place. And now that I live here in New York, I think about the cultural differences all the time. And I think my partner at home is like, all right, enough, <laughs> enough about it. You know, I'm like, I'm like walking past the dairy, it's like I just miss home. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking, well, speaking of great, great segue. You did just move to New York. I did. Which is how I met you. And I know that you did this before. You were an EMT in Milwaukee, were you? Yes. Yes. Okay. And But then, again, like I was saying, the last time I saw you, we were celebrating the fact because you are now a licensed paramedic. I am. Congratulations. Thank you. That's incredible. I find that fascinating, and I'm sure plenty of other people do. But, again, in true five questions of your fashion, I'm. this is the question I'm more curious about. So this is question number two. As a paramedic slash... From your history of being an EMT as well, just being someone who's been on calls, ready to go. What is one of the, or some of the silliest calls you have ever been called to action for? Mm. You know? Whatever you're able to share, of course. Sure. I'm not going <laughs> to violate HIPAA on this podcast. <laughs> you know, 
I think when I became an EMT, first of all, I became an EMT because of COVID, because mm-hmm. before that I, I ran bars and that really dried up, you know, at a certain point mm-hmm. in March, 2020. And I'd always been interested in becoming an EMT because it sounded fun. And then I, so I did. And I think I kind of thought it was going to kind of be like a, like a wartime thing where I'm just like helping out. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. I could. And then I loved it. And so that's how I decided to become a paramedic. But I have to tell you, it's kind of like bartending where it's like the same soft skills. Um, <laughs> you're doing crisis management. You're doing de-escalation. You have to have good situational awareness. It's basically all customer service, you know? Mm, for sure. And so you act, you see a lot of the same people that you would when you're bartending as well, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Just around. Getting into trouble. You know, most getting of the stories, <laughs> yes, right. Get, people getting into trouble on the loose, doing things they, you know, mm-hmm. maybe like wouldn't be proud of later. Absolutely. And most of the stories that I can think of are honestly too gruesome for your podcast, I would say. I figured, you which know? is why I wanted to go more towards the route of like, I don't know, something like, oh, WTF, I can't believe we got, you know, just something like on the silly because I'm sure there are a lot of heavy moments and there are a lot of gruesome moments. There are, but, and there are moments know. that are, I think, funny if you are a paramedic, but then you like tell them at a party and like the room gets really quiet and you're like, fuck, yeah, you know, sure. like, ooh. I did once have a lady in the ambulance. She was a sweet old lady and I was taking her from the hospital to a nursing home. Uh-huh. And she was totally like with it and talking to me. And I was like, wow, this lady's like, doing, seems like she's doing pretty good, you know, but usually we ask people a certain set of questions to kind of determine their like cognition, like mm-hmm. how they're doing in terms of being able to like fend for themselves in the world, right? And make decisions, medical decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, I said, can you tell me your name? And she was like, oh, of course. And she told me your name. And I said, can you tell me where we are? No, I don't. I, I said, and she said, well, I think we're in an ambulance, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, can you tell me what year it is? And she said, oh, it's 1963. <gasps> and I said, oh. And she said, and we're on our way to see my husband. We're in Belize. It turns out she had been a Seventh-day Adventist missionary with her husband in Belize. Wow. And she really, she like had, you know, dementia. And she really thought that we were there, like back in Belize. And she, but she was so happy. And she was just telling me all these stories about, she was like, oh, and we have this monkey. And we have like the, like all of the, we have this bird. And we have a little dog. And she's telling me all about it. And it was great. And then at a certain point, I realized that, Earlier, she had been like, you know, we're going to go home and see my husband. And she was like, oh, I can't wait to see my husband. And I was like, oh, my God, I hope this husband is really there when we get there, you know? Like, uh-huh. because, like, what if he's been dead for a long time? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just don't know. But we, when we wheel her into her room, there is her, like, 90-year-old husband. Oh. He's also there. Relief. Yeah, he's still kicking. He was, like, so happy to see her. They have this joyful reunion. And she's just like chilling in 1963 all the time. And I think that's kind of nice, you know, for her. Interesting. Yeah. That is kind of nice. That is like a, that that had a really nice bittersweet ending to it. I mean, the, I think the entire story is a little bittersweet it in a lot is. of ways. Yeah. I'm also happy that the husband was waiting for her <laughs> because it would have, I feel like that would have turned in like a bittersweet story into just kind of like a bitter story. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Did she, like, describe anything else of, like, the time? And at any point, did, I mean, and I'm sure she did it, but in my mind, I'm like, at any point, did she, like, go, like, yeah, we're in And it's like, are we in the future right now? Like, it's what like, is happening? I don't know. It didn't seem like she had a lot of cognitive dissonance. Okay, you know? that's fair. But <laughs> she seemed happy, which is good. It's always better. It's always, it's, I just think that's, like, a good place for her to be, is, like, happy, you know? Okay. If she's... Okay, well, sidebar into, well, not sidebar, segue into third, no, question number three. Great. Okay, official question number three. As a paramedic, former EMT, also former just bartender, were you a bartender when you were working in the service industry? Is that Yeah, like I was a bartender, gig? a server, I did everything. Okay, even, even what is your caffeinated beverage of choice that keeps you going on these days and days and days of work, nights and nights and nights now, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. I... <laughs> I really love that, like, yerba mate in a can. Ew. Yeah, I know. I really? Not like, ew. No. Not like, I was so going, good. But I also, like, ew. yeah, the yellow can, and then it'll be, like, orange flavor or, like, mint flavor. Uh-huh. I don't know. I love them. You know? Yes. I don't think I've ever had it in a can. I don't actually don't think I've ever They're had it. They're, like, in it. tall boys. I know. Yeah, I know exactly what they are. And I'm pretty sure it's, like, yerba mate. 
producer, I might need you to Google something. But like, it's like a, it's originally like a Brazilian drink, and it's like served in a very specific way that are now put, being put in cans and produced nationwide. Yeah, it's but it is a very does, popular caffeinated, I believe, South American Brazilian. Yes, drink. I mean, also based on the marketing of the cans, it does seem like it's really been heavily appropriated. Oh, I'm sure. You know, yeah. I like, also could be completely wrong. like ungood. You know. <laughs> okay, I don't think I've ever had a yerba mate. Are they good caffeine? I mean, do, do they yeah. do the job? Oh yeah, and then they always there's always other stuff, and they're like ginkgo biloba and ginseng and stuff, you know, which. Whatever. Probably does something for me. I drank a lot of ginseng back in the day. Yeah. They used to get like a lot of like $1 Arizona ginseng drinks. Okay. Those Arizona, do you remember when the Arizona, or not Arizona, when like there was also those Sobe drinks that would come in the glass bottles and they would be like Pepto, they would look like Pepto-Bismol or like white and cloudy. Yes. Also, maybe sometimes even, maybe this is my mind playing tricks on me, sometimes a little bit sparkly too. And it's like, why is, yeah, it's like, is this a potion? What? Yeah. yeah. Is this a potion? Is this going to magically turn me into somebody who's just like listening to lit in my car? Yes. Absolutely. You know? That was, I remember being a kid seeing those soba drinks. Is it soba or sobe? Sobe. With the, with the, with the gecko. lizard. The gecko. Gecko. Yeah. Excuse me. And being like, I really, like, that's what like big kids drink. I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's what dudes in high school drink. Yeah. That's what, like, I would say in my head. And right. Like, Who are, I... like, wearing Jinkos. And... Exactly. Yeah. And, like, I can't even ask my mom to get me this because I just, like, don't even feel worthy. Because my mom would be like, are you on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that beverage. Exactly. He started drinking Sobe <laughs> and it went all downhill from there. His jeans are as big as my head. He has incense in his room. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, any other caffeinated drinks that you want to mention? Any other honorable mentions? If you're at a store and they don't have them, are you a big caffeine person in general or no? Like, is that not your vibe? I'm less of a big caffeine person now than I was. I mean, shout out to just drinking cold brew, you know? Love cold, love just... Shout out Stewart's. I don't know if you ever had Stewart's cold brew in a bottle. Okay, people are obsessed with Stewart's here, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of what it means to go to a Stewart's. Take your time, but once you're there, I mean, it's like, and it might remind you, like, that's the dairy capital of upstate. Like, I love, I'm a big Stewart's fan, but they have a really good pre-made cold brew, no sugar, like in a bottle, way too caffeinated. That's like, it's just so yummy just to drink straight. It's the best. Highly recommend. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Also, really just great ice cream, too, if you're a little bit for ice cream. That's where I would recommend you So I hear. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let's go into – wait, so we were talking about jobs, and we're, this is going to, again, segue into question number four. What was the first job you ever had growing up? The fir- So the first job I ever had, my my dad is big on having a work ethic, you know, okay. which is I think has turned out well for me. I think I have a pretty good work ethic. I have to survive in capitalism, so I may as well, you know, feel kind of motivated to do yeah, it, absolutely. right? absolutely. And so my first real job when I turned 14 was – my dad worked at a resort. That's why I lived in northern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he, like, gave me a name tag and a work shirt for my 14th birthday because that's, like, when you can start working in Minnesota. And so I worked at, like, the children's program there. But before that, when I was 12 and my brother was 10, my dad kind of strong-armed us into starting this little business where we would go to the golf course of the resort that my dad worked at at night and we would – like rake golf balls out of the ponds and then we would wash them and sort them and sell them back to the clubhouses and he would like he like taught me how to write an invoice and like I opened a checking account and he like put half of the money away for me to go to college and like interesting it was like this whole little business that he had us running that's that is an incredible work ethic to learn early yeah like we had enough money at one point in our little kitty that we bought an industrial ball washer (laughs) From like a, another golf course at a different resort that was oh, like wow. selling it that he knew about, you know? Yeah. No, did the golf court know that you guys were doing this? Like, yeah, this and it wasn't. Knowledge? Yeah, and it wasn't just us. Like we had permission to do it, and so did other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is like something that some people would just do, and they would use the balls when they would go golfing, or they would sell them back to the okay. to the golf course as well because they're not gonna, you know. It's, like, too much work for them to go out there and do it, I guess. I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's some of that people, like, you know, who go around and collect cans and bottles and we'll just bring them in and do what, honestly, America's work of recycling, but at least they get the the income of it. You know what I mean? It's the same. I'm totally. I'm guessing yeah. it's a similar thing. It's a similar. Yeah. So, wait. So, you mentioned you grew up working at resorts in northern Minnesota. Yes. What was that like? Because I'm picturing, and maybe I'm wrong. New York has a very long history, which no longer really exists, of, like, 
these summertime kind of Catskill resorts. Like, where, like dirty families, dancing? Very dirty dancing. Very, very marvelous Mrs. Maisel, if you're familiar at all. Yes, yes. Very that, where it's like, you know, these families kind of will go up all summer long. Dads will still go down to work, but, like, mom is there. Is Is that the vibe? Or are we talking more... Sandals. I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, it's definitely another resort, but you know, it's definitely like a family-oriented situation. Okay, like there would be, you know, it's mostly people from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the surrounding suburbs, and then but then people do come in from like all over the country too, and some internationally mm-hmm. to go to these resorts in the Minnesota Northwoods, and it's like they're really big. There's a lot of activities, like, and they'll come usually come for a week. It's like okay. a family vacation, right? Mm. Uh, they also have big conferences there, right? So it'll be like, I don't know, like the IBM in Minneapolis will like send people up or whatever, you know? And so, or like the paper supply company. Mm-hmm. And, but it's really, these resorts are really big. Like this resort my dad worked at has like a thousand units. Oh, wow. Like it's huge. And, and we're talking like cabins or are we talking Like there's some cabins, rooms? there's some, like some rooms in the old lodge, but not very many. There's also like kind of condos that people are buying now. Oh. And there's, like, big family-sized cabins. There's tiny little cabins. There's a few different, like, kind of satellite little resorts that they've bought and refurbished. But it was weird to grow up on the resort. I feel like I had a really hyper-pronounced sense of class, you know? Oh, okay. What do you mean by that? Like, we lived on the property for most of my life. Okay. Until, like, late high school. Okay. And when I was really little, like, we lived in a cabin that they didn't use anymore, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. employee housing type cabin. Yeah. And yeah, it was just like kind of a wild thing, like just very wealthy people would come to the resort, you know, mm-hmm. and my parents were like pretty solidly middle class. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. my dad had a good thing going, you know? Absolutely. But yeah, it was just interesting to be in proximity to people who had like so much disposable income that they could yeah. just, you know, and they're bringing their big fiberglass boats up from Edina and Chanhassen and wherever they live, you know, and they're sending their kids to private school. It was just a very different yeah, I just, it's like I, I had this weird awareness that it was. Like, those folks are not like us. Like, they have a different life, but, like, we also live here at this resort, but, like, uh-huh. my dad works, kind of, like, works for them. Yes. You know what I mean? In uh-huh. a way. Like, yes. it was just, like, this interesting. Like, hospitality in general. It's like, hospitality, yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Which is probably how I ended up working in bars because mm-hmm. I was just, like, I started busting tables when I was 10 at the resort for, like, cash, you know? Okay. So. That's so, I, that's, I find that so fascinating. I mean, because, I mean, equally, I find just, like, the history of, folks going up in for the summer into the Catskills. It's just, like, fascinating because it seems just so outside of anything that my life and the way I grew up could have been. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my dad, my grandparents on my dad's side immigrated here in, like, in the 60s to the Bronx. So that was never an option. My mom immigrated here in, like, the 80s from Panama. So it's, like, that was also not something that, that was ever happened. So, like, it seems just so American, honestly. Like, this, yeah. like these, like, decades and decades of, like a history of these American families who do this every summer is just so unlike anything that my mind could. So I find it just so fascinating in a lot of ways. And I'm sure the resort you worked at was probably like, is it, was it old? So it was like, were, was yeah. there a history there as well? You know? Yeah. It's old for Minnesota. So you have okay. to remember like how things are so much older here. Mm-hmm. Like in, True. Yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where they're just like, everything is super old. Whereas like the resort my dad worked at was old. And, but it was probably about as old as the town that we lived in, which was like 1900. Okay, right? I mean that's still pretty old. I mean yeah. even I mean one of its I mean I don't I can't name a resort off the top of my head, but like I'm sure it was similar. I mean like these were also the height of them were more towards like the 40s and 50s, and then yeah, it was definitely way, so. really small. I think it actually started. So they also okay, so they also owned the same like it's owned by a private family, mm-hmm. and they also own these two summer camps that are nearby. Camp Lincoln for boys and Camp Lake Hubert for girls. Like, like the original Parent Trap movie. Like, <laughs> also for really wealthy families, right? Yeah. And they own, like, a dude ranch in Arizona and, like, uh-huh. but so one of the things that I got to do because my dad worked at the resort was to, I got to go to summer the summer camp for free. Oh, okay. Which is, honestly, usually probably so expensive. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah. so expensive. And it's the kind of summer camp where people are, like, get out of here and they send their kids yeah. away for eight weeks you yes, know absolutely like four Me weeks eight weeks yeah they're like goodbye yeah, yeah yeah and so that was actually where i learned what the internet was but so, because summer camp. yeah well i think it was just like that was the first person i ever met who had the internet oh, you know what i mean okay, and okay, so like okay, 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 they were like okay. talking about something and they was you know were like i learned that on the internet and i said what's the internet and they said they told me that what the internet was you know <laughs> in like second grade yeah. you know so that was exciting interesting yeah yeah okay okay well okay 
Listen, I can I can talk about this all day, so we're not going to. <laughs> okay. but, so I, I could know you mentioned summer. I could talk about summer camp all night too. But we're gonna move on a little bit. We're gonna move on. And then we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit off topic. And then for a final one, I left this one to last night. It just seems like also just a fun conversation. I'm excited to talk to you about because one of the things when we first met that we bonded over that we're big horror movie fans. Yes. As well as producer Ian, the three of us huge horror movie fans, and so I thought it would just be a really fun idea of a question to ask you, kind of these three horror movie prompts. Now, so I'll say the questions first. So if you're playing along at home, play along. You can pause after I ask the questions, and then I would love your answers. So what is the, the last movie that actually scared you? A horror movie that you show to scary movie newbies, and a horror movie you think is overrated? And now you can answer whatever order you want. I love all of these questions. <laughs> I have been thinking about the movie Hereditary a lot. And I think that that is the last movie in which I truly felt scared. Okay. And I think the reason why is because what that movie does really well is build a sense of, it just gives you a sense of deep dread about making mistakes that you can never unmake, which to me is the most frightening thing. Totally. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That is like a horrifying prospect, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I don't feel like I don't want to spoil it. Listen, this movie came out in 2018, exactly. pre-COVID. Please, no, you get had the whole pandemic to watch it. Also, this is very much where, like, if you're a horror movie fan and you're listening, have fun with this conversation too. So I'm sure you've. I don't know anybody who's a horror movie fan who has not watched it. So right. feel free to. Okay, yeah. great. No, just the. Okay, so in the movie, this high school aged boy and then his younger sister are at a party. And he has been told to take her with him to the party, and he's resentful of that. And she has this very severe nut allergy, which is also very anxiety produ- a very anxiety-producing part of the movie, right? Yeah. And, like, many weird things have happened in the movie at this point. And, you know, there's, like, this whole other plot about possession and about, you know, kind of family mental illness and things like that, right? And so they're at this party, and then, as you know, like, this, he's not watching his sister. She eats a brownie or something that has nuts in it. She starts to have an allergic reaction. She doesn't have her EpiPen. And so he gets her in the – instead of calling 911, which is enraging, he gets in the car and starts driving her home. And he was nervous about being a narc. That's he why. was nervous about being a narc. And so he was like, I can't make this mistake and be a narc and then have everybody in high school hate me. So instead, he puts his sister in the car, and they're driving, and he's also super stoned. And his sister is leaning her out of the window, and then they drive by a telephone pole, and it knocks, literally knocks his sister's head off. Decapitated. Just totally decapitated. Mm-hmm. I don't think he goes back for the head. No, he doesn't. Okay. He leaves the head on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and we see it, like, crawling with flies or whatever, yeah. right? Horrifying. And all swollen because anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. And so then her body is just slumped in the back seat, and he parks in the driveway and goes upstairs and lays down and just lays awake in his bed all night until morning when you see him still laying there awake and his mom goes to the car and starts screaming Mm -hmm. and that to me that sequence is the most horrifying sequence that i can remember recently right like the idea that you would make that big of a mistake ever like and ruin your life and then just like he just allows himself to sit with that knowledge of it because there's nothing he can do to change it Mm -hmm. is like just horrifying. I can, yeah, I can totally see that. I haven't like thought about it in that way, but you're absolutely right. I mean, and I'm sure like that's a huge theme throughout the movie too. Is like this idea of like mistakes you can undo and like how they affect and it just becomes like this domino effect of like this quote unquote normal family. Can I also just say one of my favorite things about that movie too is one of my it's a one of my favorite horror movie tropes is when the director tricks you into thinking this person is the main character and then they immediately die. I love when that's done well. So hey, when it's done poorly, but I love when it's done well, and nobody was expecting that. And I, it's one of my favorite things about that movie. Nobody would. I would agree with that. Nobody was expecting that. Oh, you're right. I love that too. Yeah, it's good. I mean, mm-hmm. like Wes Craven invented it. I mean, I don't know if he invented it, but I mean, Scream was one of the first movies I've ever done. Absolutely that. Yeah, incredible. Anyway, great answer. Love it. I wish I answered these questions before, but I didn't. Like, as even when you were talking, I was like, I should have answered these and answered, like, did that thing where, like, every now and then I want to answer my own questions. But Do you have an answer it. to that question? I don't know if I have, like, I don't know if I can think of, like, the latest. I will say one of, a movie that does, it's one of my favorite movies and does continuously scare me is probably Insidious. It, I, 
truly it does that thing where the music and the score is so terrifying to me and just like mm. uncomfortable and like just those scenes of like I don't know I'm like I don't it sends shivers on my my spine every single time is when the mom goes upstairs into the room and then she sees somebody in the window but then he goes away and then she runs down and then the door is just open like that is just like I'm like, oh my God, get me out of this house. I don't want to be here anymore. Who opened the door? Is someone in here? There was someone outside. And then it's just like, begin. I just think, you know, ghosts and haunted houses. I just get freaked out. So and like thing. the main character increasingly feeling like they, or one of the main characters increasingly feel like they're, like they cannot rely upon themselves. Right. And then the audience starts to be like, can I rely upon this person? And then it's just also it's like this idea of you're just going to be constantly uncomfortable. Yeah, which is also truly scary to me. The idea of like you can't even be comfortable in your own home where you're supposed to be the most. Okay. Yes, absolutely. It's like in The Conjuring when the Mm. Warrens finally come over and the whole family is sleeping in the living room, you know, and they're like, "Oh, we just all sleep down here now, and we had to tie this these doors shut so they wouldn't bang all night." Like, do you do you? This is your life. Like this is it's like you've gone from. Being like, oh, we're in this new house. To all of a sudden, you're all sleeping in the living room, and you have this door tied shut. Yeah, and like that's that level of being uncomfortable, also translates to being the movie viewer, right? Absolutely. Where you're just like, I need a my skeleton's gonna jump out of my body and go flush itself down the toilet, you know? <laughs> Which sidebar, and we have to get into this too. Also, I once had bed bugs, and that's basically what it's like too. It's the worst thing to possibly go through. It's like you're not comfortable in your own home ever. That is. Something I'm truly scared of. I'm yeah. sorry that happened to you. No, That's terrible. Totally fine. Totally fine. Anyway, so let's go to number two. So then, a number shall I say five B, a horror, <laughs> a horror movie that you show folks who are horror movie newbies, or you know, I would also twist to like who aren't really maybe into horror movies, and you're like, I've let, I think watch this one. Let's see how you feel after this one. Maybe it'll change your mind. Like, what is that for you? Okay, excellent. I have a couple answers to this. Mm-hmm. I partner. My romantic partner, my wife, Carrie, uh, really does not like horror movies. Like, doesn't, like, honestly, do, I don't even watch them within, like, an hour of her coming home because I feel like she's going to feel it, it hanging in the house, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. and quite, she's, like, quite sensitive to, like, scary concepts, right? Okay. And so, but I did watch the movie Annihilation with her. Okay. I don't know if I'm familiar with this. Annihilation came out, it's sometimes it's, like, COVID made time weird, you know? Mm-hmm. It was, it came out pre-COVID. Natalie Portman is in it, and it is like it like other horror movies, like like some other horror movies are like 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 The Descent. Yes, it's like an all a cast of women mm-hmm. that like go into a bad situation. It's very. It's also very sci-fi, right? It's very I know, okay, sci-fi. I know what you're talking about now. Yes, right. And so it's like the Earth has like there's like a zone that's like gotten all weird, and they for some reason can't, I don't know if they can't send men in I don't remember why I don't, I've never seen it so I don't know but yeah. I'm familiar with what you're and then to. and they so so I watched this movie with my partner and she loved it and I wasn't actually expecting it to be as there's like a lot of like body horror in it right okay. like and I wasn't expecting it to be as horror-y as it was and I was like oh, I don't know how's this going and then she was like oh I loved it so, awesome. so that's like sometimes you can have a good experience like that. Yeah, for I, sure, for sure. But I feel like if I was gonna set somebody up to watch a movie, and and not in a way where I'm like put on a professor hat and I'm like, let's talk about the history of horror movies, you know, <laughs> and like make them like watch Halloween and watch Night of the Living Dead and like watch Hellraiser with me six hundred times, you know, like absolutely. Instead, like if I was just gonna be like, this might make you like horror or consider that it's something that could be fun for you. Mm-hmm. I would have them watch. There was a remake of Black Christmas that came out in 2019. Um, you remember? I yes, I'm a big fan. I'm mm. a big fan of the original, but I do like the. I find the sequel actually scarier. I think it's. I so, about the sequel, the remake, actually a lot scarier. I think it's really scary, and mm-hmm. it's like it's of its moment, right? Like it's definitely like a Me Too movie, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I think is accessible, and I and it it does a fun thing with you know turning like flipping the script of the traditional slasher mm-hmm. movie, right? It's yes, good, so. Yeah, I find the sequel, again, spoiler, I'm sorry if anybody's, I find this, I keep saying the sequel, I find the remake a lot scarier, and it's actually one of those movies that in the past have, like, kept me up. It's that, it's when you see the killer's face for the first time, Mm -hmm. because I think in the original, they don't show his face ever. Maybe I could be wrong. I haven't seen it in a few years. But I do know that in the remake, there's that scene where he's, like, in a crawl space, 
and then you see his face and it's just like really scary to me and like i've seen that face like as i close my eyes to sleep in the past and i'm like it terrifies me but i love black christmas so much i love the original it's one of my favorite movies of all time i try to watch it every christmas but i did not watch this last christmas incredible i love that i will also answer this one i don't have this one i don't have like a direct answer to this but i will say one of my favorite genres of horror movies is a big 80s slasher fan Mm. the biggest nightmare on elm street fan and so I think I always recommend people, if they've never seen the first one, if they have no interest, I totally understand it. Sequel, all, great in its own ways, also would not recommend it. <laughs> but the third one, Dream Warriors, yes, incredible. I think it's one of the most creative movies of all mm-hmm. time. It's what made me, that movie made me fall in love with horror movies. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I always love it. I actually, weirdly, and I've only ever, I think I've only ever watched this like one child, like a cousin of mine, and I would love to maybe introduce it to my niece. I think it's one of those movies too where it's like, I would love to watch it with a child, sit them down beforehand, let them know, this is all completely fake. Look how ridiculous this is. It's older than you probably can even imagine being a child in 2023. Don't go in as a scary movie. And I would love to see their reaction on it, too, because I also could see it being fun in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. like it's very graphic, but, you know, fun. That's how I feel about Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. It is... I mean, the the thing about it is it would have to be, like, a person that I would be like, you are going to watch this movie, and then I'm going to talk the whole time, too. Yeah. Right? Like, during the whole movie, and then we're just going to talk during it. Because the, the best thing about it is the practical effects. Like, when yes. they have Love it. Uncle Frank materialize out of the floor, like, they had to build that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they had to make that. It's so amazing to watch. And I think it's it's also a helpful illustration in how to step outside of the movie and appreciate the effects and, like, the work that went into it instead of just being sucked into a place where you're like, oh, no, I'm trapped inside of this house and I'm going to die. I agree 1,000%. You know? Yeah. Which is, again, what got me into Because I, w- I spent a lot of my childhood just petrified of scary movies. And it wasn't until, like, I got into that that made me turn the script and be like, oh, this is actually really good. Oh, I love this. Oh, I want to watch it all now, you know? Okay. So you said you grew up in, like, an, an ambiently Catholic environment, mm-hmm. right, in your yeah. house. Do you think that, like, I guess – I grew up also in a very religious – I grew up in a pretty religious household, and I think that, like, demonic possession movies were, like, the scariest movie to me 1, for a long time because of that. You agree? Yeah. 1,000%. I mean, even to this day, my dad likes – me. My, my dad likes horror movies as well. I don't know – not as much as me, but, like, one tear down, he enjoys them. And his one thing that he just can't get into is anything that is demonic possession. Like, The Exorcist is absolutely terrifying to him. I remember this – and – it was never like the fear was like put onto us as kids. Thankfully, it was like more of like a my if my mom ever caught us watching something like that, they'd be like, "Why? Are, why would anybody want to?" And then like none of my siblings were really like too giant into horror movies, but I do have this one memory of my brother and my older my brother older brother and older sister with like friends watching The Exorcist, and I was like a kid, like I peer over, and it was a scene where she goes down the stairs backwards, and that terrified. I couldn't go near stairs for forever. I grew up in an apartment, and I still couldn't <laughs> go near stairs. For forever. But yes, I agree. I mean, like, and I, anybody I talk to who grew up similarly, that's always their number one, too, is like, possession stuff is not my thing. I don't really like to. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily my thing either, but I don't. I feel like I enjoy it now, yeah. like, in a way. I right? can. Like, I'm not like, I mean, Exorcism of Emily Rose wouldn't Oh, my God. I was just yeah. about to bring it up. Like, Amazing. Had to look in my back seat 600 times on the way home from that movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's, not, it's definitely not my go to. But I can see where you're coming from. It was like, definitely growing up, it wasn't not my thing okay. at all. Did you see the extremely uncalled for like nobody asked for this movie to be made but it turned out to be like really good 2016 mike flanagan movie ouija origin of evil i have not okay no, but i'm familiar with it and it's something like i'm pretty sure joey king is it i could be wrong i don't know i don't know i have to say 10 out of 10 i recommend watching okay. it like you don't even need to watch the original ouija movie it doesn't have anything to do with it garbage throw it away <laughs> like this movie number one the sets and the costumes and the hair is like incredible it like makes the 60s look good you know like 90s okay. not like like horrible rayon pajamas and like page boy haircuts but like really cute wait did know? this come out in the 60s or are we talking no this came out in 2016 okay, but it, did, it takes place in the 60s it takes place oh in the 60s. i did not know it's that like okay when hasbro released ouija boards you know like yeah. as a game right mm-hmm. really good okay I'm say, on my list. It. yeah it's going on the movie list folks whenever i get it done okay <laughs> <laughs> all right and final 5c a horror movie you think is overrated? Okay, I hot take. I feel like Baba Duke is super overrated. Okay, interesting. I I kind of agree, honestly. Do you? Okay. Yeah, and so does producer, and he's shaking his head. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's yeah. 
it's I get it. Like it's like we get it. It's about grief, you know. Like it's that's cool and like happy, but like the color palette is boring, and also the kid is like unbearable. Oh, like I gosh. can't with the kid, you know. One thousand. And there's plenty of movies where the kid is evil and also totally awesome and like orphan. Like I'd watch that orphan, all the time. Incredible. You know, Love the Omen, honestly. Remake's really good. Love the too. Omen. Yeah, Love speaking the of the yeah, Omen is yep. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's one of those movies that just like hit at a really good time mm-hmm. where like. It got good reviews, and then people who aren't really into horror movies watched it as well, and it just kind of hit this. And then a great meme came out of it, which is also incredible. We love the gay Babadook, like this, like this, you know, queer icon is incredible. (laughs) I think it just like hit at a perfect time. But I agree. Does it? It has ninety eight percent. And the three of us are kind of like, ooh, it's. I could not watch it again. Okay, what does Ouija Origin of Evil have? Because. 88%. 88%. Honestly, though, for a sequel, nobody asked for a prequel, nobody really, asked yeah. for that's really good. Yeah. 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 Percent on Rotten Tomatoes. See, this is why you can't rely on the Tomatometer. No. You not know? At all. You cannot. I'm trying to think. I'm going to answer it too. I, I honestly can't even think of something that's too overrated that I can at least think of at the top of my head. You know what I do think is a little overrated? It's that. End movies, when they're ready to end, I don't think we needed as many Halloween movies that just came out. Mm. And that's coming from a person who, like, loves every Nightmare on Elm Street movie. There's, like, seven of them. But, like, I let, let's leave these actors where they were. And if you want to cast them in newer movies as a homage, perfect. Don't think we need to keep reprising these roles over and over again. Right. Like, we could have been done at Halloween H2O, I would say. 1, like, did I need Rob Zombies? Although, no. Resurrection also played a big role in my horror movie growth. That's also oh, one of those good. movies that I remember being like, Tyra Banks, I love this. Okay, I yes. <laughs> I yes, 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 yes. Like, that was good. I think Coolio is in it too. I think it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. I need to give that a rewatch. I feel like it's been too It's long interesting. Enough. It's like Big Brother. I don't know if it's, I'm a reality TV fan too, so it's like, it, the whole premise, it's like very early 2000s where the whole premise is like, we're going to put cameras in the original Michael Myers house and we're going to put these people in it. It's okay. going to be live streamed. I'm for it. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. I don't think I ever saw that, and I'm for it. Yeah, that it's really, great. really interesting. So I would stop it at there. And I even think that Jamie Lee Curtis is in that, too, and maybe dies. I mean, spoiler, sorry. <laughs> maybe dies, like, within the first scene. Laurie like, Strode. Yeah. Okay, so in that vein, so, like, mm-hmm. is that movie, is it, like, what was so popular at that time, which was that it's just, like, like found footage style, where it's, like, just, like, you, like, get the different, like, shots like I Big th- Brother um, shots? It was yes and no. It definitely is not was not a found footage movie, but there okay. are hints of that. It's like a there's a lot of scenes of like there's someone in a it's very Saw where like there's someone in a room staring at all these screens, seeing like and there, there's nothing they can do about it, kind of thing. Yes, it's very that Saw minus Scott Patterson. Yes, yes, exactly. I speaking of found footage, I just have it to is. say, oh wait, okay, do they have like a confession booth? No. Okay. That would really, I mean, it was very also early two thousands like ghost hunter shows where um, they're where they're all wearing like this like camera and light thing. Oh and, sure like, sure sure. They're in like the dark Michael Myers house and, oh, totally. and there's probably someone having sex and they die. It's like right. I haven't seen it in a while, but yes. Right, you, you know that franchise loves for people to have sex and then die. Exactly. It's like their, their whole deal. Slasher one hundred one. Slasher one hundred one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have what? Did you have anything to say about found footage at all? Oh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Paranormal Activity Five: The Marked Ones. I love <laughs> Is that. The one that takes place in East LA. Yes. Oh my God, that movie fucking rules! Like that movie. I haven't seen it, but oh I my know God, it. it's hilarious. <laughs> it's the best movie in the franchise, like by far. That makes me want to watch it because it is something I've always wanted to see. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. All the characters are hilarious. Like it's like this kid. Just like, I don't want to spoil it for you. I just want you to see it cold. So Okay. Okay. Solid. Don't spoil it. Although on that note, that ends our five questions. This has been so much fun. Thank it's you great. so much for being here. Thank you so much for answering my question. And like any other episode that we do, I, you know, I just asked you five questions. I think it's only fair that you asked me a question. So do you have a question for me at all? I do. We have just been talking about movies and jobs. So I feel like yes. this is fitting. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in movies... There is, like, sometimes people will have a job where you're like, that's not a real job. Like, mm-hmm. Lara Croft Tomb Raider or, like, so, 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 so. the xenolinguist in Arrival, right? Like, mm-hmm. where, like, being a xenolinguist is not a real job. Yes. But, like, what if it was, mm-hmm. you know? Is there, like, if you could have a job, like a fake, real or fake, any job, mm-hmm. what would it be? Okay. First thing that came to mind, so I'm just going to go with this because this is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. Be Kind Rewind. Has anyone ever seen it? Starring Jack Black and Modef. Yes. No. Yes. Absolutely. 
I want to own my own video store, and that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So that would be my job. I want to own my own video store. I want to rent out videos oh and God. talk to people about movies all day. Like, wanna, that would be my dream job. I want to work so. at your video store and be, like, the guy in Clerks who works at the video store, and yes. I'm just an asshole. Even better than, like, Clerks, I mean, we can go down the line. I mean, in, I, I always loved that. I grew up. I'm I'm a little younger than you, so I grew up kind of like towards like the end of video stores, and so it's always kind of been a novelty. Like I remember going to video stores. Like of course, like I remember being a kid. I remember specifically being like six years old and constantly renting Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like, <laughs> and but like I then as I grew up and video stores kind of ended, I always like that was like always beautiful to me. Like I can name like I mean like Scream working at a video. Like I love those scenes in Scream where he's working at a video store. One of my favorite movies is Sugar and Spice. There's huge video store scenes in that as well. Like I just like love that novelty of it all and so like the first thing that came to mind was that for sure oh you know i think that there's enough video store sentimentality in the atmosphere to power one independent video store in the hudson valley yeah you know i think people would be they would do it listen i mean if and record stores are a thing now so who record knows? Store, look record stores are a huge thing absolutely so you know? maybe in like 15 years I'll be owning a video store. That's, that's right. That's right. And you'll just be like renting out and I'll those also be VHS like tapes of Brazil. And... Yeah. Exactly. You know? What a deep cut. I love the Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Cam, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a blast. I would love to have you on anytime. Oh, come on again. So fun. We'll continue to talk about movies. I will maybe ask you more summer camp questions. Great. Another genre of movie that I love. I love summer camp movies, oh so gosh. we could talk all day about it. We too. can really get into G- my Jesus camp experience too, if you have even more. Yeah, let's get deeper. Mm. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Five Questions and a Beer. Have a question for us? Feel free to shoot us an email at Five Questions and a Beer at gmail.com. Five Questions and a Beer is an Orange Manatee production, hosted by Chewy Altamirano and produced by Chewy Altamirano and Ian Belfado. 